1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start just a little bit before verse 1. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Katie. Uh, You might like to keep that in front of you as we work our way through. Love never fails. I wonder how you felt when we read those words. How did you feel? Maybe uh, picture a wedding where this is read. Uh, The reading kind of comes around the bend from verse 3 into verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Couples everywhere just start holding each other just a little bit tighter. Wives start to gaze into their husband's eyes. Husbands momentarily stop checking the footy score. They give each other a cheeky smile. Whisper something cute. How did you feel when this was read? I've never seen this in the wild, but I reckon someone out there has perhaps tried to use this as a pickup line after the reception at the wedding. Teenage boy kind of gives that seductive nod they think is cute. Uh, Reads the words out with their lips across the room. Maybe you did that just now, I don't know. How did you feel when we read this passage? Uh, our default to this passage is to feel inspired. The, the, the soaring ideals, the cascading beauty of every word, a tribute to love in all its blazing magnificence. But if we want to understand what Paul is saying, that feeling is a red herring. Because when the Corinthians heard this passage, Rather than hold each other's hands, they would have crossed their arms and fumed. Uh, Don't get me wrong, uh, 
This is Paul at his most profound, only a psychopath uh, could not identify that. But from the get-go, what Paul is fundamentally doing is rebuking the Corinthians. You can see it uh, in verse 1. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. He's saying, Corinthians, if, if you speak in tongues but don't love, you're just an irritating sound. You're like that uh, dial-up ringtone that Evan tried to play last, uh, last week. It's just so irritating. That's you if you don't have love. You can, you can move mountains. You can give to the poor. But without love, Corinthians, you are nothing. That is the direction this passage is going. Uh, one of the pre- things that preachers do uh, all the time is they kind of change topic kind of randomly halfway through the sermon, uh, leaving everyone in suspense about where they're going, why they're doing it, when it's finally going to end. It's really just the worst. Uh, but one of the reasons they do that is because often the off-to-the-side thing, the kind of sidebar, the distraction, is actually the thing that's going to help you to understand what's happening next, uh, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. But it's also what Paul does with chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, if you were here last week, uh, Paul spoke about spiritual gifts and what they're for. And chapter 14, if you come back next week, you'll see that Paul talks about spiritual gifts again and how to use them. But here in the middle, chapter 13, he stops momentarily to change topics and talk about love. The, The kind of presenting issue in the church is the gifts of the Spirit and these arguments and quarrels they're having about them and how they feel and how that makes them look good. That's the symptoms. But Paul comes along and says the problem, the central issue, the key thing you need to get is love. It's the central chapter because it's the central thing, love. At the end of chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, Eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way, the way of love. Which raises a question for a church like this, a gifted church, a church with lots of abilities, ways to serve. How are we going with love? There's three, th- uh, three parts to this chapter. Uh, verses 1 to 3, love is everything. Verses 4 to 7, love is an action. Verses 8 to 13, love lasts forever. So firstly, love is everything. One of the things you notice in 1 Corinthians is that despite being a church that's basically a garbage pile on fire, uh, they're not unimpressive. The Spirit really had given incredible gifts. Uh, If you've got a Bible, come back with me to chapter 1, verse 4. A couple of chapters back, chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says this, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Uh, So when when it came to their abilities, their spiritual gifts, the Corinthians had it all. And if you come back to chapter 13, you can see him kind of marking them off as he goes along. Verse 1, 
the tongues of men and angels. Did the Corinthians have that? Check. Verse 2, the the gift of of prophecy and and fathoming mysteries and and all knowledge. Could the Corinthians do that? Check. Verse 2 again, faith that can move mountains. So close. The Corinthians had it all. And so the the tragedy in, in, in Corinth isn't that they didn't have gifts. But it's also not that they did have gifts. The tragedy was that they had weaponized their gifts against each other. Uh, rather than, than using their gifts to build each other up, they were using them uh, to kind of rank themselves, to, to make a measure of themselves, to pit themselves against others. Gifts, rather than tools to service, had become badges for honor, a cause for envy. And Paul says that cannot be so because love is everything. If, he says, if you have all the abilities but you do not have love, you're just a clanging gong. All noise, no substance. At one level, uh, Paul's talking about our motivations. Verse 3, if If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, those are really hard things, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Just kind of amassing 50 compassion children, uh, just to kind of show off. That, that, That wouldn't be enough, Paul's saying. It would also break the bank, but there we go. Uh, Your actions have to be matched by your intentions. Motivation in the church has to be about love. And maybe we could ask ourselves some questions about our motivations. Why are we serving? But Paul's bigger point is something slightly different. Because the Corinthians, in using their gifts, are ranking themselves amongst each other. I've got a better gift. I'm a better person. And Paul says, you think you're something because of your gifts. But without love, you are nothing. Your rank is zero. All noise, no substance. All sound, no significance. I think one of the things we all want is to be something. To be somebody. We want uh, people to notice. Life is hard. Life is busy. It's exhausting. At the end of the day, after all our effort and all our time and the blood and the sweat and the tears, we just want people to see us. We want to be something to somebody. And so we drag it into church. We come through on a Sunday and and we don't play for the audience of one, we play for the audience of everyone. We want people to notice that we're here to set up early. We want people to see us playing in the band. We want uh, people to remember that the slides don't work without us. We want them to remember the the thing we said at the front, who the new people were that we were welcoming. We want to be something, my charity, my sacrifice, my effort. We want it to be noticed. And Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, self-promotion is not the way. Without love, we are nothing. By the measure of Jesus himself, love is everything. 
His glory was not curated online. His, his renown didn't come from being impressive or standing out. His glory came from love. And if we have a love like his, we can be somebody too. Uh, the good thing about love is that you can have no obvious skill, no gift, no ability, no use. You can be a burden. But with love, you are everything to everyone at church. The love of Jesus shows us that love is everything. Which raises a question, what is love? We kind of say it all the time, but, but what is love? And that's where Paul turns next. Uh, love is everything, and secondly, love is an action, verses 4 to 7. Uh, one of the things that's kind of happened over the last couple of centuries is that love has been redefined. Love has become a feeling. Love is uh, an emotion of, of passion and intensity. That's why mathematics students always struggle. What is love? Popular culture, uh, love has become about attraction and affection. I love you because of your personality or your body or your compatibility. I love you because of the way you make me feel. But in the Bible, that is not love. One of the tricky things in these verses is that if you're asking Paul for his definition, he kind of gives 15 different answers. Uh, seven times he tells us what love is. Eight times he tells us what love isn't. He would have made a brilliant politician. But what is love, Paul? The thing that ties all these things together is that love is an action. In our world, love is something you receive from others, but in the Bible, love is something you do for them. Love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love does something. It's an action. And that brings us to the Corinthians, because this is not their kind of love. Paul's list, seven things that love is, eight things that love isn't. He's specific because those are the things that the Corinthians specifically aren't. Paul is saying that, that love is patient precisely because the Corinthians are not patient. Paul's saying that, that love does not envy and it isn't self-seeking precisely because that's what the Corinthians are. The Corinthian church, the first thing you notice about them is that they are not these things. They don't love. In the ancient city of Corinth, uh, achievement was normal. Boasting in it was normal. Career, conscience, self-seeking, that was a given in ancient Corinth. Dishonouring others was just harmless gossip. In ancient Corinth, being proud of your gifts, that was a virtue. Which makes you wonder, how ancient are those values really? And it makes you wonder, how are we doing ourselves when it comes to this kind of love? Are we acting in love or are we acting like the world? One of the things about love like this, though, is that it's hard. Being patient, that actually requires us to put up with something. Uh, to hold your tongue every now and then. That's what patience means. 
keeping uh, no record of wrongs. At some point, we're actually going to have to uh, put up with something. We're going we're to find that there's people in our lives that have whole filing cabinets of wrongs. And we have to pretend that we've lost the key. That's what it means. Love is hard. Love, love always perseveres, Paul says. It, it doesn't mean kind of uh, try and love people for a few minutes and then go find someone else to talk to. It doesn't mean love someone one week and then take a few weeks off because it was a bit hard. It means all the time, persevere. Love never clocks off, never times out, never gives up, always protects, always cares, always hopes for the best, is always willing to persevere. If love is an action, love is really, really hard. So aren't you glad that God's love for us is just like this as well? Who else but Jesus could show such immense patience, magnificent kindness? Who else but Jesus could wipe away the record of wrongs that stands to condemn us and never tire of wiping it clean again and again and again and again. Uh, Jesus' love, it's not, a, it's not an emotion that, that waxes and it wanes. It's not passionate and then fizzles out. It's not a feeling that comes with conditions that must be met. The love of Jesus is unfathomable, unending action. And therefore, doesn't that make you wish for a love like his at church? Out there in the world, there's just so much yelling, vitriol everywhere. Judgment is unrelenting. Expectations are impossible to meet. Deadlines have consequences. But Paul is saying that here at church, we have an opportunity to offer a breath of fresh air to offer something that is palpably different to what you get everywhere else. Paul's saying that when we're tired and we're lonely and we're fed up, we can come to church and experience real, patient, kind love. Fifteen definitions of love in this section. Why don't we all just pick one to try this week? Underline them now, put them in your phone, paint it on the fridge, uh, whatever it is. One version of love to try this week. And it's worth trying because in the Bible, love is an action and actions need to be acted. Love is everything. Love is an action. Thirdly, love is forever. Verses 8 to 13. Uh, Take a look at verse 8 with me. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Though we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. As we stand from our perspective uh, here on earth and we look over the horizon into the future, And we ask ourselves, which of the things here will last? Paul doesn't hesitate to say it's love. That that the thread that runs between the present and the future, between now and forever, is unequivocally love. Everything else that the Corinthians care about, that'll pass away. 
the gifts that they treasure, the tongues that they do, the prophecy that they take part in, that will cease, that will be stilled, that will be stopped. In fact, much to uh, the the dismay of the staff team here, uh, there is no preaching in heaven, according to Paul. You can kind of imagine going through the pearly gates. To the left, lecture room one, Nick Wood, speaking on things he might think that Jesus might have said. Lecture room two, Jesus himself. I'm not even going to go to my lecture because Jesus will be there. All the effort that the Corinthians have been pouring into their image and their giftedness and, and jostling for attention, entirely futile because only love will last. But notice the nuance that Paul uh, brings with his illustrations. He kind of gives two little uh, word pictures for us to chew on. And the first is the picture of a child in verse 11. One of our temptations, if we understand Paul's insistence on love, is to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and just give up on spiritual gifts altogether. We'll just do love. Game, set, match. Love wins, gifts lose. But Paul's point isn't that gifts are bad altogether, but that they're limited. We all know how children work. They're kind of small and cute and they're not fully developed and so they do things that are okay because they're children. We kind of let them wear nappies. They, they sleep all day. Students do that as well, but we'll forgive them. Uh, they, they think about the world in kind of gibberish instead of words. And that's fine because they're kids. And Paul's saying that in some sense that's what life is like now. That the spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy and preaching and teaching, they're good because we're not yet fully grown. This side of heaven, we don't know fully yet. We don't see fully yet. And so we kind of use our gifts to to, to serve each other as a kind of stopgap in the meantime. And that's good, Paul's saying. For children, it's good to use those things because they're still children. But at some point, kids grow up. And adults stop using nappies. They don't call their doona a rug rug anymore. And the Corinthians, they have to grow up eventually as well. That one day, the gifts they're holding onto will no longer be useful because they won't be kids. They'll be fully grown in heaven. Which leads us to the second picture that Paul uses of the mirror. Uh, nowadays, our mirrors are pretty clear and specky if you do clean it, but you kind of have to imagine a mirror 2,000 years ago, just kind of dirty, grimy, uh, it's made by a dude with a flame and a stick and a bunch of rocks, doesn't really work that well. And even uh, if Paul is imagining a kind of good mirror back then, it, it works on a reflection, that it's kind of distorted and it's backwards and it's not quite the real thing. Think of the, the mirror, yeah, the, survey on the, or the survey on the way down south, just kind of useful for nothing. And Paul is saying that the gifts of the Spirit to the church are like that, that they they do resemble the truth when you see into the reflection and they do give some sense of reality, but in the end, a mirror is not the real thing because one day we will see Jesus himself. And what will be the point when Jesus returns of a mirror cobbled together by tongues and prophecy and preaching when he's right there instead? One author puts it like this, it's like the Corinthians are staring at candles while the blazing sun is rising ahead. 
It's like they're staring at candles while the blazing sun is rising ahead. And so he finishes off in verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And really the only thing we need to ask is why? There's a number of ways you could take this verse, but I think uh, the way that makes most sense to me is that somehow in heaven, faith and hope and love all continue to be true. That we will uh, love God and others, that we will continue to trust that God is good and that somehow in heaven our hope will be fulfilled, but we will go on hoping in God and trusting that they'll be true forever. But why is love greater? Why is love the theme of this chapter, the centre of this section? Why is love the answer to all the Corinthian problems? Kind of been stuck with it all week. Why? The best answer I can think of is that because love is the only word that describes God himself. Four times in the Bible, it says that God is something. God is holy. Evan read that out before. God is spirit. God is a consuming fire. And God is not faith, not hope, but God is love. Love is fundamental to the character of God himself. That throughout all eternity, God always has been and will be foundationally love. And here's Corinth, prophesying like the best speaking the words of angels, full of knowledge. And Paul saying to them, what is the point? What's the point of knowing all of these things about God, but not living like him? To show patience and kindness and forbearance and hope. It is to act towards one another like God himself. When we love each other, we are giving something to each other that has no beginning, it has no end, it has no limits. Because more than anything else, the thing that we can do in church that lasts forever is love. Which brings us back to the start. How do you feel when you hear this passage? There's the church kind of hearing this letter Arms folded, faces fuming, feeling Paul's fury where it hurts the most. But how do you think they felt by the end? Because I think for all that Paul is landing a careful rebuke, I can't help but feel that he is trying to inspire them as well. He's taking the beauty and the cosmic resonance of love And he's bearing down on them with it and lifting them up at the same time. He's inspiring them with love. And so I don't know about you, but I think this makes me feel privileged. Privileged that we can serve each other in a way that lasts forever. Privileged that we could offer to each other something as profound and as beautiful as God's own love for us. And if that is the case, then there can be no better goal for us as a church than to renew our attention to loving each other, to use our gifts, 
our abilities, our opportunities, our time, our presence, our care, our attention, to love. To love for the sake of God's church, for love like God himself. More than anything else you will ever do in this lifetime, love is everything. And you can do it today because love is an action. And you can do it forever because love never fails. Amen.